everyone, and welcome again to Real with Reed. I am Reed Robinette, and this is Season 2, Episode 9 of the Real with Reed podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm super excited about the guest that I'll have on today. I will introduce him to you in just a moment. But thanks for checking out the pod. You can follow the podcast, uh, whether it's on Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever you listen, and you will be notified whenever there is a new podcast up, uh, attempting to to do about three a month, all in the same topic. And uh, so this month's topic is the DeMar Hamlin uh, incident that happened a couple of weeks ago now on Monday night football. And so if you enjoy the, the podcast, rate us, uh, leave some feedback. Always love to hear from you. You can email me at realwithread at gmail.com. But on today's episode, I asked Joshua Simonette to join me. Uh, Joshua is a former NFL player, uh, played for the then Washington Redskins, um, team that I am a fan of. And But more recently, Joshua is a pastor in, in the city of Baltimore. He and his wife, Erica, um, started a church there. He is the lead pastor of Hopeville church and uh, they have four kids and I wanted to hear from from Joshua just his take on not only what happened to Demar Hamlin and the reactions of the players that were involved but but also his take on the media and even just the cultural reaction um, and the call for prayer and so I hope that you will enjoy my interview with Joshua Simonette. Hey, Josh, thanks again for uh, joining me today. And uh, it's going to be fun to talk about uh, something that nobody saw coming, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty um, crazy situation that that had the world watching. So uh, happy to be on. uh, Grateful for this opportunity to, uh, you know, talk a little bit today. Yeah. So uh, when did you and, and how did you first see the DeMar Hamlin incident. Were you watching? Yeah, you know what's crazy? Uh, ordinarily, I would have been watching, um, but I was traveling, and my wife and I had just touched down in Miami. Actually, we were supposed to be there already, but our flight was delayed by at least a couple of hours. So um, okay. by the time I landed and was on the way to get food, my phone started blowing up. Um, some of my friends, uh, people I know were watching uh, the game and uh, they said, you know, man, a, a Bills player was was injured. And someone said in my text thread, man, this is so sad. And I was like, so sad. Like people get injured all the time. Injured all the time. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. man. So so what happened? So I so they sent me the video of it. And I mean, you know, we live in this instantaneous world. Um, yeah. Somebody sent me the video clip. And so I watched it. And when I watched it. I was even more bewildered because I'm like, okay, man, I've seen a lot of, you know, significant hits and gruesome things. This didn't seem like, you know, um, something to that degree, but to see DeMar Hamlin, you know, pass out the way that he did, I immediately thought, man, something internally must be going on inside his body. Um, And I was, I was just in a complete state of shock. So, yeah, I didn't yeah. see it live, but, 
you know, I, I, I saw the video and, and then I was all distracted because I'm trying to order food and then get to my hotel. So it was really just a crazy situation. Wow. And and everybody has their own story about how they first heard about it. And but but within it seemed like, you know, within a couple of hours, almost everybody had heard and was tuning in to try to get more information. And um, when you got back to the hotel, did you turn on ESPN or or? How did you find the rest of the information that night? Yeah, well, Reed, there are a lot of things going going on in my head. Uh, so, yeah, we got checked in. I immediately turned on the on the broadcast, and you know, I'm still following commentary on my you know on my text thread, and you know, some of my friends were just um, you know were, were you know wondering like, man, what, why haven't they canceled the game yet? And you know, what what's going on? Yeah. And 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 like, why are they still you know talking? And I'm thinking in my head like, man, that they. they they're still live. Like what, like, what are they, what are they talking about? So I turned it on and um, probably about 10 minutes after I turned it on was when they made the the official announcement. But what mm-hmm. really surprised me, Reed, was as I began to like be tuned into like the solemnness of, you know, the voices of the announcers and just the vibe that you could get in the stadium. And, and, you know, I was listening to Lisa Salter's, you know, uh, as well, mm-hmm. and, you know, she was getting a little choked up. I, it, I really got emotional. Um, I didn't expect to, to have that level of emotion kind of overtake me. And it, and it did. And I just, I didn't have any words. Um, you know, my wife just kind of, you know, remained a little quiet. She didn't ask me any questions. I, you know, she could tell that I was just emotional and I think I was emotional because, um, I mean, I know what it's like, to, to play at that level. I know what it's yeah. like to, you know, um, see teammates hurt and, uh, you know, some, some unfortunate things happen, but not to that degree, you know? Right. Yeah. And so that's one of my uh, thoughts and why I wanted to have you on and, and say, you know, how is it different? Um, do you think for someone who is, you have literally been in those shoes yeah. and you have uh, played in the NFL. You've uh, had teammates who've gotten injured. And so watching one of the things that struck me were the, the faces of his teammates yeah. um, as they turned away and, 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 and couldn't watch. What can you share about what it's like to, how is it different because you've actually been there? Yeah. You know, Honestly, Reed, like, and this is, some people could probably understand this, you know, like all of us are a part of families, you know, and I would say a lot of what we experience in the locker room environment to be on teams, um, competing at that level, the grind, the, 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 you know, amount of hours, the sweat, the tears, the blood, you know, all of that stuff, like, it just yeah. creates a level of bond that is, you know, maybe the the closest thing you could think of, at, at, you know, with uh, an average person would be, you know, like a family. Here's the thing about families, though. Like, we don't like everybody in our family. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. you know, and so, so it's not really about, like, there being a bond where, like, you you like everybody, but it's still your family. And so, like, when things mm-hmm. like that happen in your family regardless of what mm-hmm. the personal relationship was with that person or, you know, even if like you had some beef with that person or what, you don't want to see stuff like this happen to your family, you know? Yeah. That goes out the window. Yeah, it yeah. goes out the window, you know? And so I think in, in those kind of instances, it's like, man, you just never want to see 
bad things happening and you you feel bad, you know, like we put so much effort and and we've, you know, like dedicated our lives to just such a short, finite time um, in our yeah. existence, you know, to play this game. And so you you experience or you understand some of that emotion, um, you know, just the, the the thought of like, man, this this guy's life, you know, could be changed forever. Our lives are changed forever now that we've experienced it. So there's just a myriad of emotions that, you know, go through your your mind and, and your in your head at that time. And again, I wasn't in the position that the Bills and, and Bengals players were. So I'm sure it's yeah. magnified times a thousand, you know. How can you describe the, you know, you're there in the middle of the first quarter and the, I'm imagining that, you know, I played sports on a very low level, but even at that point, your adrenaline yep. is, is going, you are in the, the heat of the, of the moment. And then to have that happen and they didn't know what would happen yep. next. Um, how how would that be? How would that feel as a player? Did you ever experience anything that was remotely like that? I got to imagine that it just messes with your whole psyche of how you have to get ready to play a game, and then all of that is put on hold, and you don't know whether you're going to have to play again yeah. immediately. Well, you know, Reed, listen, I, I don't I don't know that anyone really has had. Um, a situation like this. I don't, you may remember this uh, when I was much younger and I was actually texting with one of my friends about this. The closest thing that I could remember to something like this was when Hank Gathers died, Um, you know, on the basketball court playing for Loyola Marymount. And that was just so tragic, you know, to see him um, on the offensive end. I think he may have scored a basket and then he's running down the court and he just passes out and, you know, he ultimately dies, unfortunately. So, so no, no, I, I mean, that's just such a rare occasion. You know, people don't, you know, have points of reference for that, which is probably why you had the reaction that you had on the field. But I did have one instance in college. Um, I played, you know, uh, in the Ohio Valley Conference, a, a school called Tennessee Tech. And, um, you know, I got voted, I think, by Sporting News one year as the hardest hitter in the conference. So, like, you know, oh. big hits and that <laughs> was something that I lived for, you know, which that was your about, calling card. Yeah. It says a lot about my my psyche as a person. So y'all pray for me. <laughs> um, just pray for me. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get better. But I mean, I, I don't hit I don't hit people anymore for a living. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But but anyway, I, the reason that um, I was voted, um, I got I got that, you know, that distinction was because we played a game against Middle Tennessee State, which was our rival at the time. And man, this big tight end, you know, came across the middle and I just tried to put my whole being into him. And um, he's a big guy. And so I actually hit him and I went to the ground first before he did. But he timbered over like a tree and. His arms locked in place and Reed, mm. it scared the living dickens out of me, man. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I can remember in that moment, literally getting down on one knee, taking my helmet off and praying like mm-hmm. literally I had never seen anything like that before. Now, some of us who have seen football and big hits over the years have seen that situation where a guy's arms locked. Matter of fact, it happened to Tua Tungavailoa. Um, yeah, you know, uh, against the Bengals, you know, man, the Bengals have had a little, uh, that's right. You know, 
But 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 I saw that same situation as I don't know, I was mm. nineteen year old, I think, and it it scared me. So that's the closest thing that I can remember to, to ever experiencing anything like that. Yeah. Just remember, he's an opponent. I can just remember like, God, please let this guy be okay. But right, that's the the whole game situation is Everything gone. Changes. Yeah. So, you know, he was he was able to, you know, they were able to get him up. He walked off the field. And, uh, you know, everything, you know, turned out okay. But, yeah, um, yeah that's – I'm sure you saw, like, you know, Diggs and some of those guys were going into the tunnel. Yeah. And they were like, man, we're you're not an opponent anymore. You know, you're a human and and this is bigger than than the game. I can't – and you probably have a little bit of an inkling then. It sounds like how T. Higgins, you know, would have felt. Yeah, because, yeah. You know, I mean, gosh, what a horrible thing to have to – not know whether this guy's going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, I, I think um, I, I'm sure I would have had similar, you know, feelings if like something, you know, really bad happened to this guy, you know, for me, um, he gets up and, and they, they help him off the field and he walks under his own power and he's okay. Um, but, right. you know, yeah, I can only imagine, you know, how T Higgins was feeling and, you know, these situations too also just really bring out sometimes the worst in us and, you know, those those people mm-hmm. who are um, blaming T. Higgins and, you know, saying negative things about him. I mean, mm-hmm. the guy is an offensive player who's trying to, you know, get away from yeah. the defender. You know, I mean, he's not he's not he's not trying to hurt anybody. He's not trying to end anybody's career. Um, and yeah. the nature of the game is just so violent. It could happen to anybody at any time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it it does sometimes bring out the worst. But but in in a real sense, it brought out something that was remarkable to me. Yes. Which was the immediate call to prayer. Yes. And so you just said, hey, when you hit this tight end uh, as a college player, the first thing you thought to do was to pray for him. How did you uh, – so was the was the immediate prayer and both teams uh, gathering to pray, was was that surprising to you? H- how did you process th- that that response? Yeah, you know what's interesting, Reed, is and, – and probably the number one question that I get asked a lot is about – because people know I'm a pastor now and they know I had, you know, a short stint in the NFL. And, and so a lot of people are curious about the locker room dynamic as it relates to faith. And, sure. You know, it wasn't surprising to me to see, um, you know, guys uh, coming together and coaches and and, and um, the other personnel praying because a lot of that happens, you know, in locker rooms. Um, there there are a lot of guys who um, come from families um, of faith. Um, they have faith mm-hmm. backgrounds, um, a lot of them Christian. Um, and so it, they may not necessarily like. Um, have an active faith per se, but they have some knowledge and they have some practice of faith and prayer. And so mm-hmm. it's not uncommon. And I tell people all the time, there's a higher percentage of guys who are um, Christians, Jesus followers, or at least warm to faith than you would think. Because I think like, mm. I think people think like, oh man, he's big barbaric, you know, high paid guys, man, they're probably into all sort of like, crazy you know lifestyles and that honestly that's an anomaly isn't that something and so i mean that's where i sort of want to go with our conversation is the thing that was remarkable to me was 
how the the response w- was um, reasonable to me because nobody knew what to say. Right. And I thought, what a great picture of what we should do when you don't know what to do. Yes. Is is to pray. And, and there it was on stage for the whole country yeah. to maybe the world to see of uh, this is what people and this I think Joshua this is what everybody does when they don't know what to do yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> today, hey that you know that's true whether they know how to do it or not <laughs> yeah they, this is bigger than me I don't know how to make sense of this and so it, it, regardless of how you felt about faith or God previous prior to that moment, it just was this wonderful picture of well, that's what everybody does. Well, read moments and he, like that. And here's the thing that was that was very interesting to me. Um, I agree with you. It was a reasonable response when people don't know what to do. But then all of a sudden, all of the lines of delineation are now completely blurred because you then have people on national TV. Um, you know, people like, you know, Ryan Clark and um, Dan Orlovsky, yeah. I mean, they're invoking the name of God and they're 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 calling the name of Jesus. And Dan Orlovsky prays, you know, wasn't that amazing? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, again, like it, it's it's hey, you know, we can have all of this like, you know, separation of this and, you know, we don't want to do this and we want to be politically correct and all of this sort of stuff. Yeah. But, hey, this is what I tell people. When the excrement hits the fan, you know, like, <laughs> hey, you, uh, it, it, things change for real. Yeah. And, and so uh, I want to keep going on this because uh, I, I said last week in in my podcast that it was one of the most unifying feelings that I've seen in our country in a long, long time. I didn't hear, maybe you did or somebody else did, but I didn't hear anyone for a week saying, oh, I'm so offended that you asked me to pray. Right. Oh, I'm so uh, disheartened that Dan Orlovsky was allowed to do that on TV. That's so incent. I didn't hear any of that. Right. Why do you think that was? Why was that expression of prayer um, so unifying when so many times religious uh, calls to action are, are not? Yeah, well, I think in part because when tragedy strikes our lives and it strikes or hit hits us in a way that where there's a reverberation and we, this was a reverberation where like everyone, you know, felt this to 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 some degree. I think everyone yeah. is looking I, I think it's in those moments that we realize we are all connected. We are, mm. we all, we all belong to one another. Like we all, you know, hurt the same. We feel the same. We, we, we cry the same. And, and so I, I, it, unfortunately it takes those kind of moments for us to realize that we, we are all one. And then I think the other thing too, is we realize that we all need a sense of hope and mm-hmm. sense of hope. Um, it needs to be beyond us. It needs to be beyond what we can do. It needs to be beyond what we can conjure up and make happen. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your social status is. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter what your accolades are. All of those sorts of things. Like 
you know, we're all how you vote. Yeah. And we all need uh, we all need hope and we all need like saving of some sorts outside of ourselves. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so I, I got um, I had this conversation with my wife of uh, as I was watching it, you know, unfold. And what a great, you know, um, fantastic ending that Demar's okay. Yep. Uh, you know, th- that felt like it was uh, just a, a blessing and a, and a gift. And that's not always the way the story, tragic right. stories end. Right. And, and, and we understand that. But um, but the way people were compelled, and, and when I saw, um, you know, the following weekend, like the 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 Jags and and whoever they were playing, I can't even remember now, all gathered yeah. before the yeah. game to pray, and and we knew Demar was going to be okay at that point. Right. That there was this um, spillover motivation or 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 energy unifying energy towards uh and, th- and th- this was just struck me it, they all had those nike shirts on yeah. kudos to nike i guess that said love demar yeah. and so i just i thought that must be the way it was to watch jesus love people yeah yeah is is just people came from every walk of life every social background and and they could all get behind this one act because he was all about the person who he was caring for. And, um, and so it, I'm good. That was a long introduction to, to this question. Um, you and I both work for churches, yep. uh, both here in Baltimore, and we have great hopes for our city yes. and for even beyond that. What, what can we learn from the way that people reacted to uh, Damar because I would love for people to be that um, drawn to the work of the church. Yeah. That that if we were caring for people in that similar way, it it, it might provide you know a different um, I don't know magnetism or uh, what's the word we use all all the time um, irresistible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, yeah. and so. Just talk for a little bit about as you think of the church. What can we learn from from that whole week? One, go. Yeah, I, I think um, what we can learn, and I, and actually read. I, I don't know if it's actually something that we can learn um, versus something that we need to be reminded of. You know, um, Good point. Jesus. Jesus said um, a couple of things. He said that, um, you know, people would know that we are his disciples um, by how we treat one another, how how we love one another. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think what what um, is a very powerful um, opportunity and moment here is, is we need to see ourselves as from a love standpoint, continuing to make deposits, mm-hmm. you know, in the bank. Just continuing to make, you know, to, to make um, deposits because there are going to be opportunities where, um, you know, withdrawals are needed. And wouldn't it be great if if like we've been so consistent in how we love and so consistent in how we support and how we care for others that when uh, we have these moments that we become the church becomes the point of reference for how to respond, for mm. for how to care, for how to how to love. Because we've been given the blueprint, we've been given um, yeah. this mandate, 
And so um, I, I think that sometimes we we forget that um, in our day to day interactions, in our day to day um, you know, opportunity, which is why I think Jesus said, hey, when he's been asked, what? well, hey, we've got this list of commandments, like rank them for us. And Jesus is like, well, you don't need all of those. You just actually, let me just summarize it this way. Hey, you love God and you love people. And and the 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 translation of that was was love your neighbor. And the interesting aspect of that was neighbor was related to people who are different than you, people who are not like you. Sure. And we look at the Damar Hamlin situation. I mean, like, hey, I mean, technically, he's a minority in this country. So, like, yep. he's a lot less like, you know, people in this country. Um, he's also a lot less like, you know, people in this country because he's a professional athlete. So what, like less than one percent of those people from college make it to that level. So, like, he, he he's so much not like, you know, yeah. um, everyone else. But like. Jesus is saying, like, yeah, that that's your neighbor. Like those those are the people that you you need to go after. So I, I think like, you know, we just need to be reminded that we are um that God is love and we are we're called to be a reflection of that. And so I think like there are gonna be cri- there's going to be crisis that happens in our lives, that happens in our world. It would be really great for people to say, like, man, I, I don't even know about that Jesus stuff. I don't even know about those church people, but like Man, they sure love each other. Or they they sure mm-hmm. know how to, or they sure know how to serve and and come together. And they know what to do in these situations. Maybe we should ask them. Yeah, and and I love the way you said that we have done that consistently all along, so that when something um, that is inconsistent, that is an, an anomaly, does pop up, there's this yes. track record of right. Well, the, these people do this all. All the time. Uh, let me um, give you one more th- well, question. Well, Reed, let me, can I just throw one more thing in there? Yeah, please. This is so interesting to me, and I, I really want to just, I really want to point this out because what, the track record piece is really critical for me. Um, uh, being a pastor in you know Baltimore, Baltimore City, and and I bring this up because I was asked before we even launched, I was asked, um, hey, what do you hope? Um, hey, five, six, seven years down the road, what what's your vision for you know your church and what what do you hope to have um you know happen? And I say, you know, honestly, I think that um I'm a little disappointed with the reputation, you know, mm-hmm. of the church at times. And I said, I would love for a situation to or situations to pop up in our city, and we've done such a good job loving and serving and being available and and having open doors and and whatever the case may be, that the city calls us or people in the city said, hey, like, will you help us? Or, hey, mm-hmm. we, we see you doing this or we believe that you guys are for, you know, um, the the thriving of the city. Um, and I, I, I said, wouldn't that be a great opportunity? And you know what? I actually had a church who was interested potentially in investing in us tell us, oh, well, yeah, that's a worthy cause. But. Like now, nah, we actually just we're, we're, we're more focused on baptisms and salvations. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, huh? And, and I'm like, but 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 like, isn't that who we're supposed to be? And yeah. people don't feel loved and they don't feel supported. And it, how are they even going to be open mm. to an opportunity to know more about who Jesus is? So anyway, I'm gonna get off my box on that. No, it's good. Stay on your box, man, because uh, I'll go back and use that word again. We, we kind of chuckled at it, but but the way Jesus did it was irresistible. 
that yes. people were just drawn to it. It's not that people didn't have their their eternal destiny changed forever. Of course they did. Right. Uh, but it was so magnetic because of the value that he placed on every single life. Right. Yes. And so, man, there we go on. Um, it's sure. Um, DeMar's life um, was this unifying, uh, y- you know, drawn people in because it mattered so much. Well, every life matters that much. Right. And you and I know that there's people every day who are facing um, all kinds of, you know, ridiculous uh, struggles. And and the fact that the church could have the opportunity to say, man, let's just get behind that life matters. Let's just yeah. do that. And, and I, who I, they are, what they look like. Right. Whether they like us or don't like us, you know, I think well, and I think we need to realize, Reed, that our opportunity for the big moment happens every day in the little moment. Ain't that the truth, man? Speak that. And so it's it's just the buildup of the little moments, the little opportunities, you know, consistently over time. To use your word again, the, the consistency, like it, it's those little moments that that create this huge opportunity for for big moments. But we've just got to be more consistent, not get discouraged, and just mm. show up the way that we've been, you know, asked to show up if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, which the word disciple means follower. Yeah. Um, then we we've, we've got to be consistent in those little things and the and the big things and the big opportunities will will be there. Well, I, I'm gonna uh, just hope that and and pray that that this uh, little incident, um, not a little incident, that sounds terrible. That this uh, national incident will be a an impetus for more than just you and me to have this conversation yeah. about why that response was so remarkable and and how the church should pay attention and and have uh, the that we may not have another big opportunity like that but as you said we have little ones every single day where we can go pray for and love people yes yes absolutely to the extent that this can be a um an encouragement to do that um we pray that the lord will use it joshua thanks for your time man Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Reed. Um, Honored to be with you.